Well, welcome everybody to the Blofeld podcast. We're back after an extended hiatus. <laughs> I mean, and I could go into the reasons. It's mainly first world problems, traveling, vacation, yeah. holidays, whatever. No one cares. <laughs> but we're back. Um, and we have a heck of a lot to catch up on. So we, do. Um, we too much for probably one episode. We're going to try and maybe do a second one shortly. But um, uh, probably the biggest news, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. But the biggest news, if you're a Formula One fan for the last, what, two, three weeks now, I think it's yeah. been, is Lewis Hamilton, as of 2025, will be a Ferrari driver, which as far as like epochal news in yeah, yeah. formula one it's kind of it's kind of like uh you know yeah. I, I heard probably the best equivalent in modern times would be like when schumacher went from benetton yeah. to ferrari yeah you know but even that was a little bit different like he was rebuilding a ferrari program yeah. that was nowhere yeah um but uh i mean we're talking you know seven-time world champion and who really helped build Mercedes yeah. along with Toto Wolf into the powerhouse that it is now. I kind of, I saw that playing out in real time, but I kind of want to hear what your, your take, your kind of thoughts on it are. Oh, uh, it's, it's such a loaded topic. Obviously, you know, Lewis has had so much success with them. Right. Um, I've, I've talked with you about this, you know, is this a Brett Favre moment trying to look for greatness right. at the end? Moving from the Packers to the Vikings, where it just ends in a freaking mess. Yeah, I I hope not because I don't wish that on Lewis. And no, I think um, the question in my mind is: um, Do you think he knows something? First of all, do you think he knows something about the Mercedes car? Well, that's that kind we of don't? you know. Obviously, they've they've seemed to have had they seem to have gone in a design direction that didn't particularly lend itself to this kind of success that Red Bull saw. Right. But they seem to also commit to it and stay with it. So that's an interesting point, and I don't want to sidetrack us, but one of my buddies sent me a picture, you know, that the new Ferrari was just revealed, and it's got a bit of more tapered waist, and it's got these... um arrow elements by the side intakes and he he said oh it's very similar like that design element is very similar to the red bull mm. and i said here's i said my concern i was like i know it didn't work out for mercedes but i respected that they're like we think this is gonna be great they didn't just say hey let's copy red bull's car from last year and maybe our engine will be slightly better yeah. which is what aston martin did and I, yeah. I told my buddy, who's a big Ferrari fan, I said, I'm worried that Ferrari basically said, let's copy the Red Bull and just hope that our powertrain's better. Yeah. You know, so I do respect Mercedes for trying something different. Obviously, it's a massive gamble because it didn't pay off for them. The cost cap meant they couldn't spend a ton of money iterating yeah. on it. Um, I think, so I, I think you're right. It, it That has not worked out. So maybe that's part of it for Lewis. I assume that if I, if you if you take a step back and you kind of look at human trajectory there is kind of a point where you've done something for a decade and you start to think that the grass is greener on mm -hmm. the other side mm -hmm. and someone performing at that level i think it's probably not unreasonable for them to think like maybe i could do this better right and just kind of like start over and this and is the longest <clears throat> run of 
longest lack of success he's really had in Mercedes. Yeah, and you yeah. kind of wonder, you know, when he talked with them about changes he was looking for, did he feel like he was being listened to? Mm-hmm. Was you know, because that's one of the things. Right. Um, a lot of times you have <clears throat> a push and a pull mm-hmm. for something like this to happen, mm-hmm. and and the push may be a frustration with mm-hmm. like we're not going in the direction that I want yeah. and a pull from some other organization that says we are willing to do what you need, right. whatever you want to make this work. Right. Now, fundamentally, my, my main concern with this is I've watched, I watched Sebastian Vettel mm-hmm. with Ferrari. Mm-hmm. I, and obviously there's been some changes. I've seen Ferrari strategy. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges you have with organizations like this is there tends to exist a culture, and with that culture comes momentum. Mm-hmm. And that kind of momentum we do is things this way, and that's how we do them. is hell to shift. Yeah. And I think that is probably why Schumacher was literally like taking the car by the horns in the shop, working late at night to yeah. change these That's things. That Schumacher documentary, it, really. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it literally took a, a, a human, a superhuman feat right. to change that momentum. Right. And maybe that's something Lewis is looking for. But I, I from what I've seen over the past several years, it's going to take a hell of a lot of work mm-hmm. to change that. Maybe, maybe the, the stars align and he comes into this and it's like, Oh my God, we got a great freaking car. It's amazing. And there's just dominance. Yeah. I just don't think that is how this is going to work. There is inertia. I think, you know, that company and that team, I think there is a bit of, well, we're Ferrari. Like, of course, that's the problem. with this kind of organization, but we're the best. I think your push pull analogy is is really accurate because i think some of the rumors so there's probably multiple layers so one they probably are not doing a whole heck of a lot with the 2024 car and he may not believe that they're going to do much to the 2025 car in the lead up to the regs change in 2026 um the but the push and pull from a rumor standpoint that i've heard might be one of kind of feeling a little bit disrespected by mercedes And he's feeling love from Ferrari because one of the rumors was that he wanted a 10-year contract after he retired to be a Mercedes ambassador. Um, And Mercedes basically were like, no. And Ferrari, at the same time, was coming to him saying, look, we'll pay you reportedly $100 million a year. We will, you can bring anyone you want from Mercedes, including Bono, your race engineer. Sure. Anyone who wants to join you from Mercedes, we're, we're happy to have them. We'll make room for them in the team. Um, and supposedly they have talked to him about kind of being a brand ambassador mm-hmm. when you're retired. So I think you're right. I think, I don't think he's too impressed with the technical direction Mercedes has gone in. They he knows that George is the yeah, you know the the, quote, the yeah. king in waiting you know, and he looks at Ferrari and he sees, you know, one it's it is Ferrari. Every Formula One driver I think ultimately would love to wear the red right. 
and drive the red car. So there's that. But then also, you know, he's he's look he's he's at the pinnacle of his sport and he's feeling a bit, you know, I he wants to be appreciated. I and I think Ferrari is showing them we can appreciate you, please. And they're hoping that this guy has been he's a seven-time world champion. He's helped build up an organization of Mercedes that is incredibly successful. He can maybe show us how to, you know, change some of the things we need to change, kind of like so Michael did. One of the things I'd noticed with Lewis over the years, and this is just watching races, when when things are going well, mm-hmm. he can be a pretty, you know, a pretty reasonable dude. Right. When things are not going well, mm-hmm. just like all of us, it can it can cause a lot of frustration. Yeah. Um and that's where it gets my, interesting with their, like you said, their strategy, some of these challenges. That's, that's where I think, you know, he's going to have to go into this with a mindset that it needs building. And with where he's at in his career, how many years is that going to take? I mean, we're going to we're going to spend a year now with him at Mer- Mercedes while he finishes up. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's true. The first year is probably, I mean unless the stars align, it's going to need some work. Right. So it'll be a building year, just getting to know the culture, getting it adapting. So it's probably like two, maybe three years out. That's four years out. Yeah. Like, does he have that in him? I mean, yeah. I think that I, I, you know, it's like you kind of, I think he, I think he knows they must be close. Maybe, you know, I mean, cause you look at Ferrari's yeah. season. They, I mean, they I agree with you. Like, otherwise he wouldn't have taken this, but yeah, I just, the i'm i convinced my wife to marry me by saying i was an optimist <laughs> i'm not an I'm actually yeah, 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 optimist, yeah. but that but that was the hook line yeah <laughs> she knows that yeah however that being said the pessimist in me just yeah. does this is going to be profoundly frustrating well for Lewis. yeah a lot like it was for sebastian Vettel. Yeah, right um because well, he was a champion as well and he you know he hit the culture and it was like you know, hitting a Mack truck and it's mm-hmm. like, you can't change this. The The beast is what it is. Well, you know, I think the, the car has shown to be competitive. If they don't that is true. The, if they that don't screw the strategy, I think, you know, if, if Lewis can go in knowing like there's work to be done, there's a reason that Ferrari are not world champions mm-hmm. and there's yep, work true. to be done, you know, and maybe he's looking and, at, and maybe he's looking at Fernando Alonso and saying like, if this guy can freaking race into his mid forties, yeah, yeah. maybe well, I can race into my mid forties. And that's fair because the other thing I think the piece of the equation is with Mercedes, the the ground is still unsettled, and mm-hmm. with all the shenanigans going on at Red Bull, that ground could become unsettled as well. We should touch on that. That I I forgot to put that in my notes, but that's kind of a an evolving story. Yeah. So in recent weeks, there's a Dutch paper that came out with um, allegations that uh, Christian Corner had kind of had some sort of improper interaction mm-hmm. with a yeah. with a, a female team member. Exactly. Whether that was, you know, there yeah. were there were well, was it specifically? It, yeah. We don't, we don't know. know. We don't know. I mean, you, you can make assumptions, but who knows? And so um, Red Bull reportedly had a meeting that went from like. 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, last Friday. Um, we don't know the results 
of that meeting, but they mm-hmm. they basically were meeting. They're having they're having an independent right. investigator evaluate the situation, and um, there is a chance that depending the outcome, Red Bull basically either asks them to leave or mm-hmm. fires them, yeah. which could be a significant domino to fall because supposedly if Horner yeah. leaves, yeah. then Adrian Newey, their technical director and the designer of these world-beating yeah. Red Bulls of late, um, and before that, the designer of many other world-beating championship cars, um, supposedly their contracts are linked in a way that if Horner leaves, Newey's contract is, he's essentially free to leave with no yeah. penalty. Um, which, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people that would just be backing up a Brinks truck to his house. So, so yeah, there, there, right. 2024 is shaping up to be a fascinating, <laughs> especially if Horner leaves. Because, I think so. I think, uh, I mean, he is for better, or for worse, kind of the glue of that organization. I mean, he's been with the freaking place so long. Mm-hmm. That, that that he is kind of the lifeblood of that place. And so it would be uh, cascading consequences if he left. Throughout yeah, the if he left, if Nui left, you know, you know Verstappen would then yeah. be like, hmm, I don't have the best design in the business yeah. design in my cars anymore. He's now at a Mercedes. Yeah. Maybe I want to try and get Wouldn't to Mercedes. Yeah. So <laughs> who knows, man? <laughs> you know, the uh the new season of Drive to Survive comes out, I think on like the twenty third or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see how they make last season look dramatic. I was telling my sister who's she's a not only a podcast listener, but she's a avid becoming mm-hmm. avid Formula One fan. Um and I was like, I she was very excited about the trailer and I said, I'm fascinated to see how they make this season look interesting. <laughs> <laughs> But the trailer was very good. So yeah, true, yeah. But you know that to me, that's like the that's like the sign that we're near the new season. Because usually yeah, they come that's out. True, yeah, exactly. Usually this the drive the power comes out, and then we start actually doing preseason testing or something. I'm excited. Like yeah. So it's just such a fun. I look forward to watching that again. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not super optimistic that this year will be particularly interesting. Um, you know, there's gonna be intrigue and stuff like how much is Mercedes gonna allow Lewis right. to know their plan, right. know their strategy. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you know the guys going to one of your major competitors, I mean, Mercedes and Ferrari were two, three in the constructors last year. Yeah, you know, how much are you gonna want to <laughs> let Lewis know about what you're doing and what your plans are? Probably nothing, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so nice. there'll be some there'll be some intrigue. I just hope it's not all off track intrigue and that there's some actually yeah. interesting racing yeah. happening. Um, we'll certainly see um so moving on from formula one kind of into our own our world um i just had um you know i've said before i'm got a a safari 911 project that i'm working on um and i just had a ppi done today on a 1988 um 911 carrera uh guards red great looking car um it's been driven it's been used it's got 122,000 miles on it but the ppi largely came back positive we think positive yeah. compression test was done on it that it, it for something that's that passed yeah. with flying colors yeah. um most of most of the things that were flagged by the shop uh doing the ppi were 
kind of things you would expect, you know, lines that need replacing, belts that need replacing, um, things of that nature, but nothing catastrophic and nothing really put me off from getting the car. I talked to the the owner um, of the shop that's going to be doing the safari build, and he basically said, you know, it looked like uh, there was nothing, you know, nothing unexpected. So he's going to talk with his chief mechanic, and they're going to go over the report, and, and basically we're going to kind of talk together about what we think the car's worth and and what we should offer for it. And so, you know, that could be a big step. And basically once the car gets to them, it's, you know, six to eight weeks to do the conversion and it's exciting being shipped my way. So it could be a huge step. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally am optimistic after, you know, looking at the report, obviously there's a few things that need a little bit of TLC, but Mm -hmm. it is also an older car and that's to be expected. They yeah. don't seem to be deal breakers. No. Um, at all. I mean, that was a big thing you and I discussed in the lead up to this, your experience with your 2002 and kind of setting expectations appropriately mm-hmm. that like, you know, if if I was buying a car that had zero issues, almost concourse perfect, one, I wouldn't want to turn it into yeah. a safari. Yeah. Two, you're talking in you know, well into the six digits for the car, which I'm not willing to do. And so, you know, you have to know that there's going to be things that you, you have to decide what are deal breakers and what are not deal breakers. And if they aren't deal breakers, can they, Yeah. So you know. And and that's the thing, you know, for guys like us, um, you know, we're not shade tree mechanics. Mm-hmm. I like to tinker, but I kind of know my limits. And yeah. so the deal breakers are kind of like structural integrity things, significant mm-hmm. rust, like right. major issues. Which this car didn't have. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, compression failures, leaks, mm-hmm. knocking, all sorts of nonsense like that. Yeah. You know, things that we talked about a little bit that are navigable or brake lines, stuff like that, you know. Most of these cars seem to have a few electrical gremlins. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, at least with my 2002, a lot of it was just grounding issues, which makes sense over years. You get mm-hmm. a little bit of rust, a little bit of buildup, just whatever. And, yeah. yeah. As far as I know, the only kind of electrical gremlin, per se, is the horn doesn't work. But I suspect it's got, it's got an aftermarket Momo prototypo steering wheel. And I suspect oh, they probably true. just didn't hook I up didn't the horn, you might yeah. guess. Um, but all the gauges work, everything's accurate, yeah. you know, which is, which is really nice. Um, the interior is in great. Yeah. Shape. Yeah. I looked at those pictures. It does. It looks freaking, yeah, that, <laughs> it's like it, the perfect amount of wear of use. Yeah. That, that, that gives it a look that's like, uh, tasteful. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. actually tasteful. It's yeah. not, it's not something that scares you away. It's like perfect. Well, and I think, you know, I would rather have a car that, has been used and maintained, but needs kind of replacing of the consumables, the belts, yeah, belts the hoses, et cetera. Yeah. Than a car that has basically sat in a temperature controlled bubble for 30 years yeah. and hasn't you turned a wheel. Yeah, like you that, don't know what's going to give up the ghost. <laughs> all the all the gaskets and seals are falling apart. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. so, you know, I, I am, the process is really you know, interesting. The shop did a really thorough job with their PPI. It's a reputable shop. Very reputable shop. And, um, you know, but the, you know, it is interesting. You have to kind of going through the report. I'm like, 
I was like, oh, I don't, is this really bad? And then I, you know, I talked to the the guys that are doing the conversion. They're like, oh no, like this is pretty much what you would expect for a car this age, you know? And, uh, and so they were kind of able to kind of assuage a lot of my concerns. Not, I didn't have that many, honestly, like the PPI, I think overall was, was positive. And so now it's just a matter of, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to pay their asking price because there is stuff we're going to have to pay to fix. Yeah. Basically before I'm willing to drive it, things like the brake lines need to be replaced. The clutch lines need to be replaced. A little bit of a negotiation. A little bit of a negotiation is going to need to happen, but we're closer than we were a month ago. We're closer than we were a month ago. (laughs) And, you know, I think the big thing is I, and I've noticed this on bringing a trailer as I've been looking. So I like set up an alert for when the, this type of, 911 goes up for sale. Yeah. And it's it's something that I've noticed that and we've talked before about when the market started to shift with these collector cars, that the sellers were behind the buyers in terms of what the price was now. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The there have been there have been multiple no sales recently. That's true. On that's honestly, you kind of wonder if that's like an intriguing economic indicator. That basically yeah. you're getting a reserve not met. Yeah. A whole bunch of these auctions. Cause I've seen the same thing with like the 992 GT3s that I follow yeah. and stuff. It's like, all right, we're on, we're about, we're all on a little bit. Right. We're all right. Right well, and, and so my concern is that, you know, this, this guy bought this car a year and a half ago. And it's, so it's, at, at, at the, yeah, probably yeah. near the top of the market. So is he going to be willing to take? A little, bit. a little bit of a hit. Yeah, because that's the question. I mean, on the on the other hand, you know, I was fucking with um, you know, one of my colleagues who just got traded their um, I can't remember the nine eleven versions. Uh, he had a nine nine seven. Okay, okay, nine nine seven. Yeah. And what did he get? I don't think a twenty twelve. I think. I think he got a. I think he got a nine nine one, didn't he? I don't think it's a 991. What's the generation before that? Oh, no. He had a 996 and they got a 997. Okay. 997.2. Yeah. So, you know, the new one's a PDK. Mm-hmm. And um, and he felt shame. And I said, you should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also said, here's the reality. He does have a pretty nice manual car. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So the reality is we romanticize a lot of these things. Yeah. But then in the in the actual day-to-day operations, they're a complete pain in the ass, which is kind of true of manuals and stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, I think like that's kind of the reality is is we do romanticize collector cars. And then when you're <laughs> when you go to start them up and it's like mine, I've got to choke, I've got to feather the pedal for a while to listen for the RPMs and then I got to let it rest and, you know, get a little heat into it before I can go anywhere. It's like, mm-hmm. this is a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so the, the reality is I think some people, when you buy the collector car, you know, you realize like, okay, this isn't for me and yeah. that's fair. And, uh, and so whatever that is, is it just like, you don't feel safe driving around in them with, you know, Ford Raptors and Yukon XLs flying all over the place. Yeah. That's probably a reasonable concern. Maybe it's just, you, you know, you're asking it to do things that are not maybe reasonable of a car that's, you know, 50 years old, Mm -hmm. or you're just like, 
you know, these things are just driving me nuts. I get in it and then it's like, that's a weird sound. Is that a problem? So I take it into the shop and right all, you know, cause it's like, you know, there's, there's much more ongoing service with them in some ways. If you can't do it yourself, that yeah. you're paying other people to do. And so you just say, you know what, this isn't for me. I feel like you got to treat it not you got to treat it not like your first kid but like your second kid, <laughs> kid where it's true. like we don't he's got the sniffles he'll be fine we don't <laughs> worry about true. that so true. you know the, the first kid you're he's going one he'll be fine he's got, it's 99.7 we got to take him to the doctor we'll see it we'll see how he is tomorrow. you've got to be much yeah i think you know you, sometimes these things start themselves yeah it's very true so you know that that like on the ppi they, they <laughs> noticed like you know there are a couple places where like there was a little oil seepage and i was like oh my gosh and and the, the uh you know the the shop that i was doing the conversion said like all these cars leak <laughs> he's like i would actually be more concerned if it didn't leak because i'd be worried there's not oil in the engine yeah and so that that was kind of one of those things like yeah. you just need to level set know, one is like yeah. my own my own admitted ignorance like i've i've done enough research to know about what the major issues are with air-cooled 911s of this generation but i don't have the practical experience of like dealing with you know like this the company i'm working with like they've dealt with you know numerous air-cooled 911s yeah, exactly, yeah. prepping them maintaining them selling them so like they've they know what the issues are i i I don't know the little, you know, nitty gritty stuff. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. So it's been helpful, you know, to get that perspective, um, you know, and then having, I can't say enough about if you're having, even if you can like go and see the car in person, I would, outside of a car that's more than like a couple years old, I would PPI any freaking used car. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, even my, my, nine, my GT3 RS when I yeah. bought it, it was a year old with 3,000 miles on it. I still got a PPI done. That's what I did with the 2000. You know, yeah. I just, just, I think it's too much money. I agree. Yeah. It's one thing if you're going to go buy a $12,000 used Honda Civic, like you're kind of getting what you're paying for. It's probably going to have some issues. But like if you're spending that, good money. And that's the reality. On a car. Like these, uh, these cars in some ways should be worth nothing. Yeah. Right. They're ancients. Yeah. The technology is far surpass yeah you know and so you're you're like wait a minute i'm gonna pay more than like what a new car costs for this thing yeah. <laughs> it better yeah. be reasonably sorted i know so it's a very reasonable thing to do i thought it was yeah i think i had to pay to ship mine all the way to the other side of los angeles to a yeah wacky 2002 shop yeah that, you know knew what they were doing i think money. i think you have to because you know i'm, I'm fortunate in that like Porsche as a brand is popular enough that there are yeah, exactly. quite a few independent yeah. shops that, that know oh, their stuff. Country. But also, you know, 2002 is more niche. And so it's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the beauty of where mine was out in L.A. is that's kind of that's the, where they are. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's kind of the Mecca. But of the 2002. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if, if you know, and, you know, the thing is, like, these are cars that are well known, you know, it, they're, it's well known what their issues are. You have a lot of people that drive them a lot, that enjoy them, that have, have experience in this. So, like, there's a lot of knowledge collectively out there about them. Um, and and you want to make sure you're getting, ultimately, you're not getting somebody else's headache. Amen. You know, anytime, 
you know We're never been able to find the issue with this electrical system right we know it we know there's an issue right yeah <laughs> you, you don't want to get into you know it's like whenever i would see a listing on bring a trailer where it's like you know the seller purchased this car nine months ago and is now <laughs> listing it with you know 300 miles added you know or like i've actually seen a couple safari builds on bring a trailer where they're like the build was completed 500 miles ago and now it's for sale and i'm like all right. Did you did you get done with the build and you're like, actually, this is not what I wanted it yeah. to be, and it's not comfortable and whatever? Or like, are there just issues that you cannot yeah. figure out and you're just done with it? So like that to, that I, to me is the role of the PPI. Yeah. Why I would smart, yeah, really hesitate to buy something on BAT because right. unless you could like, you know, win the auction and then talk to the seller yeah. about getting a PPI right. and being able to. I don't know if you can then back out of the sale if the PPI is bad, but you just never know. Yeah, that's why I didn't buy my 2002 on that. Yeah. You know, especially if you're doing it remotely. Like, yeah, exactly. I can't go and look under the car to see if there's an oil stain. You know, I can't do certain things. So, like, if, you know, if you're going to do this, if, if you're going to buy any used car, collector car, whatever, the PPI is just non-negotiable, I think. Amen. So, anyways. We'll we'll hopefully have some more news to come. There's another big thing that is more your wheelhouse that came out in the last what two weeks ago. I think yeah, they initially yeah. unveiled it. So mm-hmm. the kind of mid, like I don't know what you call mid, like yeah. a facelift, refresh, update, refresh, refresh. Yeah. For the Tycom Gen One refresh, so kind of like J One. Yeah. Dot two. The Tycon dot one to the Tycon dot <laughs> two highlights. Obviously, there you know a bit of a facelift. Yeah. That is, um, you know, controversial a little bit, a little bit polarizing. Yeah. Um, but the range, yeah, I think, was the headline grabber, yeah. which understandable from an EV standpoint. And, and I can't remember if I talked with you about this or maybe my wife. I was like, it it doesn't make any sense for them to release the Macan, which has a lot more range, right, than the existing Taycan. Mm-hmm. And you're asking people to pay more money. So it's going to buy a Tycon. Right? Yeah. It didn't make because I do think they will actually cannibalize some of a lot of the, the Macan will cannibalize a lot. I of think so. I think so. Of the Tycon. So it'll be interesting because the see. people that are buying Tycons because they want a Porsche EV that has nice performance and that can carry their family. Yeah, that's much better. A lot of those folks Macan. will move into the Macan. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see like what space it occupies as the um, Macan you know, exists because like sedans are obviously not the most popular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think in, you know, the nuts and bolts of it is someone put on the forum, this is the car they probably originally intended to release. Yeah. But they were kind of locked into technologies as they started development seven years before as to what they could offer in 2019 and 2020 when the first version came out. Right. So I think like I think the battery pack capacity went from you know ninety three to one ten, mm-hmm. but also there's like significant efficiencies um, that have been seen with this uh, refresh. And so the um, you know like my Taycan, I'm trying to think on a really good day, you know I might get kind of like high two two miles per kilowatt hour, and I remember the out of spec guy Kyle did this hypermiling thing with the new version in California and got like 461 miles out of wow. it compared to like so not hypermiling it's probably like, like 350 50. 
Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I calculated if I did some back of, you know, the napkin math. I was like, I probably would expect to go from like, you know, in the summer months, maybe 350 with mine. Mm-hmm. And then in the winter months, probably like, you know, 200, high 200s maybe, mm-hmm. which which would be about there, that reminds me. So there's a lot of efficiency yeah. gains in this. Side note, um, maybe better for discussion later, but there was an article in the New York Times today about the F-150 Lightning sales kind of falling. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that was mentioned by one of the people that owned one that was planning on selling it was like he lived in Michigan, and maybe this was a lack of kind of educating himself before he bought the truck, but he was like, you know, my range was like half yeah. what it said it would be in the winter. And that's, yeah, exactly. So um, I want to talk about that a little bit too, because that that's, um, we see the same thing internal combustion engines, but they're so freaking inefficient. It is not noticeable as much in the winter. Now, if it's mm-hmm. horrifically cold, you will notice it in, mm-hmm. your, in your gas consumption. But a battery pack, you know, you're sitting on a hell of a lot less energy than a big tank of gas in terms of like mm-hmm. kilowatt hours available for use. Right, right. So the efficiencies are like there's really a hell of a lot important. of energy available in a small tank of gas. Basically, That's exactly. Right. In, in, yeah. in, in comparison, and it's just so we're so inefficient at the extraction of that. Yeah. That because um, there's no other way to do. And it. now we have it's systems like, like preheating and stuff for preconditioning the battery. Yeah, and I was thinking about that because the other. You know, we had to take the Taycan up to the airport because we had a flat on our X5. And so I preconditioned the battery and got great efficiency up there in the winter. But then we came back and it was like Brutal. a pocket lift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I could literally tell the difference. You yeah. Know? Got home. But, um, you know, so I think like, again, uh, these things are probably really exceptional vehicles for the vast majority of people doing daily driving commuting you know if you've got a landscaping company or construction company you need to operate in northern michigan in the winter Mm -hmm. it's maybe not a great fit for trailering and stuff but the reality is and we've talked about this most people who own trucks don't use them for real truck things they just drive them around town they live in the city they're not even out on a farm and stuff yeah it's just they want a truck they're perfect for an ev so like i don't I don't completely discount that. We were talking before about the charging networks being um, basically there's not enough of them and they're not um, operational that you can count on them. So yeah, they're not consistent. Yeah, and so that's a major problem um, that still needs to be worked on. But in general terms, you know, this update with the Tycons, from my perspective, pretty impressive. Um, you know, they changed the looks. I think actually I talked about this with some people on the forum today. I think the design language was changed in such a way to create exclusivity between the trims. They want, they kind of kept those like teardrop, whatever you want to say. By the headlights. On the turbos and the turbo S. Yeah. A lot of people. Well, that was a common complaint. I remember when we, when you were getting your uh, turbo. It was like, well, these aside from like yeah. Michigan wheels, <laughs> you can't these all look the right. same. So like if they in a real world scenario perform I, similarly, yeah, I have what's the point? I need to say so it, so um <clears throat> it makes sense to me, right? Because if you buy a nine eleven turbo, you're getting a different engine. Right. And it sounds different, and there's all these, you know, different 
components yeah. to it that just like be, but the powertrain is not really different in evs it's just how quick it goes the sound yeah. is the same it's an artificial the only sound. difference you're going to have is like is it a two motor or quad motor yeah and, and the problem is like they all still feel really damn quick they're all fast because yeah. of that instantaneous torque yeah. so it's kind of like what i was saying today and when i was talking with these people various levels of nausea is yeah all it's like <laughs> so how do you provide that in yeah. an ev and and so it's really got to come down to how quick you accelerate mm -hmm. maybe you have a different sound which is kind of gimmicky mm -hmm. or it's a visual visual aesthetics right and design cues that have to give it away with i the, bought the expensive one exactly and yeah. you can't you can't have this right you it, peons can't have your poor have your poor person front <laughs> so, bumper i've got the rich person front wanted bumper. to tell you one of the things i thought that's funny is they um the new mission e-wheels um, i don't like at all i don't know if they, they sacrificed the original cool look for aerodynamics they don't um, they, they look like somebody made an analogy to like a a, a life buoy oh they, yeah they yeah, yeah. They, they don't. i thought that was hilarious you're gonna anyway so so they created some collector's items they very they <laughs> could uh they created a new color scheme mm -hmm. guess what it's called Turbo design package, turbinite. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's like these trim pieces that you're gonna have. They are only available on the turbos. Uh -huh. You can't get that. Yeah, <laughs> not, not, on, only not on the peasant spec. Or it's like yeah. I said, I said to my wife, like the problem is, where are we going with this? Because the just as an example, before S now is like zero to 60 in 3.5 seconds the turbos like zero to 60 in like two seconds yeah we're we're literally butting up against the physics of the universe oh, like tires we we cannot yeah. make these go any faster mm -hmm. they all feel ridiculously quick so yeah i'm well, sitting here before like they just all they do is change the metric like zero to 60 is meaningless in modern day really so now it's zero to 120 I am zero it's to, like it's I can't like use that in this country. Yeah, it's <laughs> like going to jail. Yeah, none of those. The reason zero to sixty was a you know a useful quote unquote useful metric was that was a time that was something I could do on the street that isn't going to get me put in jail. Yeah, but yeah. is exciting and it could be useful when you're trying to get on the highway or something, right, right, merging or something. right. So it's sensible. Um. So that's kind of curious to me because I'm like, I can't even use that. You've made them even faster, which makes me think it's like even more nonsensical to buy a turbo S now than. I mean, your your turbo ago. was uncomfortably fast it's, it's in acceleration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why do you need more? That's I mean, kind of my question. I look at the 4S now and I'm like, God, that's almost as fast as my old turbo. Like, I'll yeah. just get that and save some money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. I think it's it, you know? keyboard warrior, armchair, it's, quarterback, like, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Like, it's basically a pissing contest without any actual real-world yeah. use. So a couple other things I wanted to talk about really quick. The, the charging on this thing is monstrous. Mm. They allow you to pump in oh, like, yeah. 320 kilowatts. I heard about that. And they allow you to charge that pack at a high rate deep into the pack. Right. Yeah. I heard they don't have so, a big buffer zone. Yeah. So you, I mean, you so can literally question. in like eight, 
18 minutes, you can take this thing from like 6% to 80%. So that you're adding 250, 280. Right. So this gets back into our, our, a little bit of the discussion that we'll probably expand on, on another podcast, but the infrastructure discussion is okay. Yeah. Porsche's talking about that. Amazing. Super fast charging architecture. If I am at the freaking <laughs> Walmart charging center <laughs> spot, when Her realistically will I ever get a, those speeds or anything remotely close? Because that's the at that point, it's it's irrelevant, right? I mean, if it can charge a few things have this fast, you know, but it it only maximally charges it this fast, then what's yeah, the point? The charger has to work. Which is right. a problem, as we discovered on our trip out to <laughs> yeah, <Road America. laughs> yeah. Um, the second thing is the pack has to be at a certain temperature. Now, yeah, if that's in your destination, I'm going to this place to charge. Mm-hmm. The software does that in the background, so you don't have to worry. It it, it can't mm-hmm. be preheated. Mm-hmm. The next thing you you run into is what is the contract with the utility. Right, because if you're doing the hour of the day you're trying to charge, that's kind of a problem, right? Because yeah. like one of the reasons it cost me, it cost us like five hundred dollars to drive our e-tron three or thirty thousand miles is because of our crazy off-peak charging rate. Yeah, if we charge on peak, we get severely penalized. Mm-hmm. And so if you're you're asking a utility. At 5 p.m., to I let want you 320 kilowatts. From right, that. that's an insane amount of power. Right. And one so imagine think, if there's three or four cars. Yeah, that, so, that can also pull that sort of. Yeah, power. and that's kind of the problem. Is like some of these are built with load balancing. So if you know the transformer has like a maximum capacity, and so if there's four people, you know you're not going to get that. Not not all of the chargers. Right. Right now, do 350. Which you know, most of the times there's one. Yeah. And the freaking Chevy Bolt right. can't get anywhere near that. It's always on yeah. that freaking charger. It might as well be plugged into the 50s. Walmart I, AC socket. I was going to say, as just a quick aside, mm-hmm. there's an EA station going in south of us. Mm. It's going to be new. Should mm-hmm. have high power by the chargers. Airport? Yep. Mm. So what I want to do is like, as I cycle through my EVs, mm-hmm. is I want to do some like cool range tests on yeah. the interstate and stuff because we can do high speed runs yeah. and then come back and charge like a and see, you see, that <laughs> and see yeah. what we can do. Well, I am, I am. So this, that situation that you described us sets up a really interesting social scenario because if your Tycon could conceivably charge from 10 to 80% in what 15 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If no one else is at the charger and someone else pulls a Chevy bolt pulls in hey, and wants to charge, <laughs> are you like, you? are you like this son of a bitch, you know, and, and, and right. Like yeah. you're just hunting for the empty. So, charging and that's, and that's kind of the question, right? Because it just depends on how, how the, the charger was built. Um, not all of them operate that way. Mm-hmm. Some of them are have, you know, individual power lines run to each charger. And so you mm-hmm. won't, there's no load balancing mm-hmm. between them. Some are, it just kind of depends on yeah, how it was engineered. And probably that kind of comes back to 
the utilities and that's kind of the problem in this country is our electrical grid is the is a circus right there's right. like a bajillion different utilities we, we have a hard time moving power around the country so mm -hmm. you know those are the operational constraints but i think overall um there's a lot of improvements um you know my lease on mine will be expiring probably during the existence of this car and so then the question in my mind will be do i just wait for the third generation mm -hmm. the, the true second generation and right like, you know benefit from that or um you know if they're still making a wagon maybe i'll grab one and maybe they won't make them the next time because the yeah con cannibalize them mm -hmm. all that all that being said one of the fascinating pieces of this story is the Tycon used price is a crater. Oh, they're terrible. And yeah. So the challenge I think is is kind of like I was talking about that with my wife the other night. What do you do? Because like Minneapolis mm -hmm. has I can't I didn't tons of you know, so they got lots of used well, ones. All oh, these people are coming off lease. Yep, yep. They just yep. turn them in and walk away. And they've got a whole bunch of new ones. And so mm -hmm. What do you do with that? I kind of thought what they really should probably be offering, and this should maybe be subsidized by Porsche, is to come out and say, we will give you a new car warranty through the eight-year warranty of the battery pack. Mm. You don't need to worry about anything. Bring yeah. it back if something's not working. Yeah. And that actually might help, you know, the market. Because mm -hmm. the people buying them new um are buying them new because they don't want to deal with any of the headaches and they right. want to spec them the way they want mm -hmm. and so like i don't i don't necessarily think the new prices which they did increase you know kind of by an obnoxious amount with this right are going to actually change how many they can sell but this used car market for these vehicles is a is a challenge i mean anyone that anyone that there's there's going to be buyers that just like there were buyers for S class Mercedes and seven series. Yeah, Mercedes, exactly. Who were like, the same analogy. I know right? I'm gonna eat shit for like fifty grand on this car. I don't care. I want the newest and greatest. The newest There's gonna always be those people. But for anyone that has to work for a living and yeah, and earn their money, <laughs> off, yeah. um, then yeah. I think they're gonna look and say, okay, you want two hundred and ten thousand dollars for your turbo. Yeah, turbo S. Turbo yeah. S. There's a Turbo S that is two years old with 2,000 yeah. miles on it for $120,000. Make that make sense. To <laughs> you know, I don't need to spec the cognac leather. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you know, so that's where I would say to people. The flip side of this argument is there's some real freaking value. That's if, what I was just going to say. It's not a good time to get out of a Taycan, it's a great time to get into yeah. one. <laughs> I mean, especially because, like, you know, I think you probably avoid the 2020s. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> if you can get into a 2022 I think so. at a 40 to 50% yeah. discount. And throw get them to throw in a warranty for four years? They're yeah. great. Freaking daily drivers. I love yeah. them. You know? So, I mean, I, you know, it is a really, it's an interesting market because if I were the Porsche dealers, I'd be like, quit sending me time. I know. I, I don't, we, we cannot sell them. They're taking up space on the lot. We're going to have to heavily discount them to yeah, sell them yeah. new. And then you're going to start sending us McConaughey V's, and then no one's going to want these things. I agree with you. I think that they do need to... I think the problem for Porsche 
is the EU regulations mm -hmm. saying like, listen, if you want to sell GT3s, you're going to need to move some Tycom. Right, yeah. And so that's kind of why I jokingly said to you, <laughs> that's your ADM for getting one. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. buy one of these goddamn Tycoms if you give me a GT3. That, that reminds me, <laughs> okay. I was, was going to see if you watch this YouTube video. We're, we're, we're closing down on time, but I, I mm. this was really, and maybe we can save a deeper discussion on this for the next episode, but did you watch the YouTube video on, I think it was called like Exposing Supercar Dealers? I don't think I did, no. So it's this British guy who's bought a, he's a pretty heavy hitter. He's owned like multiple career GTs and sure, yeah. big collector guy. He calls up every Porsche dealer in Britain and basically says, hi, yes, I'd like a GT3 RF. And just to see what their reaction is <laughs> and okay. to see like how it plays out. Okay. And, you know, most of them just are like, sorry, sorry, bud, like mm -hmm. no, no chance. And then but what was really interesting was one dealer called him back shortly after he called and they said, actually, we do have an owner that is um, looking to sell their car. It's already specced. It's already, it's going to be delivered soon. You're going to pay, it's $150,000 over MSRP, but actually that's a pretty good deal because to get an allocation for one, you would have to buy 10 cars from us. To even like be considered yeah. vip client right so like that was really interesting to me that they just came out and said it we we knew that yeah from our local porsche dealer you know we had been told by one of the salesmen basically if you want to be on the list you spend a million dollars with yeah. the dealership but this was kind of i guess more verification of that like yeah. if you figure 10 new porsches even if you're buying like low spec Macans, like you're going to be approaching a million dollars. So it's actually right. kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, They're getting similar quotes. And um, I thought that was a really interesting because I've been having this, this discussion with my wife because just the luxury goods market in, yeah, general exactly. in general is like this, whether you want a fancy or mez <laughs> bag or you want a Rolex watch, whatever. Yeah. They all play the same game. <laughs> I know. And I told her, you know, I've, yeah. I've been kind of you know, there's a specific watch I, I would like to get for my 40th birthday, but it's the watch everybody wants. Yeah. And yeah. so the, you know, I was, you know, trying to figure, you know, basically I came to the realization that I need to ignore what the list price of anything in this sector is, luxury goods market, car market, whatever you want to, however you want to look at it and say, no, no, no. The list price is what I can actually buy it for. And on the gray market, on the secondhand market, wherever. And either I'm willing to pay that amount of money or I'm not. Yeah. Because I'm not going to play the game. I decided I'm not going to play the game. I don't want to buy four watches I don't care about to buy the one watch I do. Yeah. I don't want to buy five cars I don't care about to buy the one car I do. So you either pay the cost to be the boss and get the thing you really want. Or you just, or you don't. Like for me, at least, that that's my approach going that's, forward. I mean, that's you. You kind of fall into categories of, you know, you're I don't know a billionaire or something, and it just doesn't matter. So right, like, you're not worried about this stuff, and right, or you've you've got some kind of in where you've timed stuff, and like you just happen to be a certain age with a certain amount of money, and you're crazy enough to buy a Carrera GT. Mm -hmm. 
and now you've got a pipeline right you know and now it's like just it keeps getting better every year right yeah because you just lucked out Mm -hmm. and then you know there's like well i guess i'm a real estate agent i got a bunch of people that work for me and so i could buy four macans from them this year lease them down depreciate them for my company buy another four next year and then i'll get right my gl3 yeah allocation or you're none of those people which is kind of the category that we fall in and you just have to say like i'm going to get in touch with a broker shop it around and see what the going price is and Mm-hmm. You know, year one when it comes out is probably not a good time to make that no. call because it's going to be pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. Maybe year two when you're kind of in peak production or railing end of it, mm-hmm. you start shopping it around and then you just hope you get lucky. Right. And somebody says, well, last year it was 100K. Now it's 50. And you're like, well, last year they raised the price by 15 grand on these things. So yeah. Screw it. Right. I'm not getting I'll pay, I'm paying 30 I'm just going to do it. I'm just doing it and I'm going to move well, on in life and I'm going to enjoy there, it. There's always going to be that premium. If we're talking cars, just cars again, there's always going to be that premium for the new hot thing. And exactly. that's going to have an ADM. I mean, we saw it with freaking Corolla GRs and, yeah. and all the way up to the GT3s of the world. And, and now the GT3 RS is going for 150 yeah. over, you know, but things do soften like exactly i, I was just i was just, we we think back to when you bought your gt3 rs yeah given some time you can make an intelligent choice yeah how far you know how many years do you into that ownership period mm-hmm. it's gone pretty well there hasn't been cataclysmic failures it's right like oh i got this used one so the experience is horrible yeah it's just been a terrible experience no, it's been fun. It's pretty yeah it's been amazing yeah and, and i got mine for under msrp like mm-hmm. i timed the market very luckily yeah, well exactly, yeah but even like like a cayman gt4 rs those when they first came out you know were going for 100 over now they're going for like 20 to 30 yeah, over. exactly so you know it's a little bit of patience if you're patient you go a long way and you look around and you say okay well like now am i willing to eat this price because the market is the market like you're not gonna you can't just because you think it's unfair doesn't mean it's going to change anything yeah, exactly. you just have yeah. to decide yeah am i willing to play this you I know mean, am that... i willing to get in the game at this price or not and if and if not then say i'll wait and see what happens yeah i think so and um you know that's kind of the other thing i think you have to you have to separate from that equation is are you going for an experience or something that you specifically want or are you just chasing after the next cool thing like right. the rest of the people? Because if you're going after an experience and a, and a focus thing that you want, I want a GT3 with carbon fiber bucket seats. Right. I want it in a manual transmission. Mm-hmm. And that is all I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Then just wait and yeah. find the right fit. Because mm-hmm. at some point it's going to come down. It's not going to be the hot thing. Yeah. And you're going to be happy because you get that experience right i mean as soon, like, well now they came out with this thing as soon as it's a little bit better and all right. this it's yeah. like i'm driving a buick now no you you, <laughs> you have to go after what you want you cannot treat <laughs> if we're billionaires you can do what you want for us you can't look at a big purchase like this as a laptop and be like okay i'm gonna get this but in two years i'm gonna get the upgraded yeah. version then in two years i'll get another upgraded version no that's not how this works Unless you just want to lose your shirt, <laughs> you know, because the reality is right now, 
a 992 GT3 RS is going for, they're being sold, you know, advertised for $500,000. The reality is when the 992.2 GT3 RS comes out, those are going to go right back down to close to MSRP. They'll still probably be a little over. Yep, they will. But, you you know, there's going to be people that will be deeply underwater in those cars because... They just could not. Wait. Yeah, especially if you, yeah, yeah. It's like there's always a meme on Instagram where it's like, you know, it's like the the guys from um, it's the UK show um, with what's Monty Python. Now it's the car with oh Top Gear. Yeah, so they're looking at each other with like jaws open and yeah. basically like your buddy's reaction when you when you tell them you're you're buying a GT3 RS and you only have a thousand dollars to your name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. It's not him. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a really interesting, like the, the, this sort of like market is really interesting to see how it plays out. If you just can be patient. Yeah. And we've, we're seeing that a lot of the car market, including the enthusiast and collector car market is really softening pretty significantly on a lot of stuff. Um, unfortunately not as much on air cooled 911s as I would like, <laughs> but, uh, but otherwise, um, yeah. but I think, you know, I would love to, you know, I think next show we should definitely talk about the, the EV infrastructure. Yeah, I'd like to, yeah. The Macan EV, which is officially unveiled. Yeah, we kinda, I didn't even we've think we've kind of touched on that yeah, a little bit, should, but, yeah. um, looks, looks promising. Great. So I'll come up with some non EV related yeah, I do this too because I can't talk about batteries for an hour. But uh, so, and yeah. there'll probably be an update on the Safari by yeah, now. So, yeah. um, but thank you guys so much for listening um, and for hanging in there when we take yeah. these unexpected breaks, little sabbaticals. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, be sure to check us out. We're we're on Instagram at the Blowout Podcast, um, and uh, you know, hopefully, we'll have another episode out and in a few weeks um but we appreciate you guys listening and and hanging in there with us and we will see you next time